All right, good evening, everybody. Um, we are going to go ahead and get started, and you will notice something very different right away, and that is that our worship team is not up here, uh, and that is because we are going to start with the study tonight and then have worship after. Why in the world would we be doing that? Because we are starting a new series tonight. Uh, we are not going to start Ephesians. We would have been in Ephesians next. We will start that, but not until January. Uh, so tonight and for the next couple of Wednesdays after this, we are going to be looking at some Psalms. And uh, we've got, if we could get the slides up there on the screen, that would be helpful. Thank you very much. Uh, we are going to be going through a few Psalms that I selected for the next few weeks. And um, these, are, these are psalms or songs of thanksgiving. And then as you know, you may have heard, uh, we are going to end this month uh, with a house worship session. Uh, that will be at the Perry's later this month. I'll tell you more about that as we get toward the end of our time together. Uh, but study first, then worship, and then we'll go to small groups. All right? Everybody good with that? Anybody need a Bible? If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand, and uh, our lovely assistants will bring you one, and when you get one, you can open up to Psalm 95. This is where we are at tonight. Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is where we are at. And for those of you that take notes, you can see that I have a breakdown here. Uh, of the chapter, which we'll go over here in just a minute. So, anybody else need a Bible? All right. Okay, so as you are turning to Psalm 95, I am going to uh, open us up in prayer and uh, so that we can get started here. So, Father, thank you so much for tonight. And we thank you for your uh, uh, giving us the time away from homework and sports and all the different things that, that uh, these students have going on to be here for a little while, to study, to worship together, small groups, hang out. And uh, we want your blessing on the evening. As we open up your word now and in a few minutes as we uh, begin to worship you, we want your blessing on the night. Uh, and and, and the, the only way or the best way that we are going to be blessed by you is for you to use the time that we're studying to speak to us from your word. And then uh, when we start to worship, uh, the, the, the best thing that could happen is that we could sense your presence, Lord. Know, know, know that your presence is here with us. And so we're asking for your blessing on our night in those ways. So we thank you so much, Father, and commit our time to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 95 is where we are at. I've got the breakdown here. Uh, there are only 11 verses, okay? But there's a lot in here, jam-packed. Uh, but I'll try to keep it moving. You can see that there's a pattern here. There's a call, and then there's a cause. And then a call, and then a cause. And then it ends with a caution. So we'll see what that's all about. But what about these calls? Call, verses 1 and 2, and then in verse 6. They both start the same way. So let's get into this, into the first one, which is the section on call, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at verse 1 here. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. We immediately see this call. What is the call? The call is to come, okay? That's what that is. He's, the, the writer of this psalm is calling other people, come on, let's go sing to the Lord, okay? Now, there are several things that the reader is told to do. 
And, but, it, but it all uh, starts with the call. That's the, the call is to come. And I mean, I, I want you to think about that for a moment, how incredible that is. You know, there are lots and lots, like hundreds of religions around the world, different religions that teach so many different things. But there's only one where the God that is the center of that worship, the center of that religion, is calling, inviting the individuals, the followers to come. Come and, come and join me. Come and be with me. Uh, 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 there's, uh, we, we understand from the Bible that God wants fellowship with us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants friendship with us. And you can go and do your own search and look for, you know, look and uh, 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 you can inspect or investigate the other religions. And what you will find is that God alone, the God of the Bible, is the one that invites. Come. And then, and then the, the call to come is come as you are. You don't have to get cleaned up first and then come. No, just come, God says, just come to me and then he will do the cleaning. You don't have to clean yourself up. So what a wonderful thought that is. And, and the writer of this psalm starts that way. He says, come. Now look what he does. He tells us when they come, the first thing he says is, what you want to do is you want to come and sing. Let us sing to the Lord. So it's clear that he's talking to other individuals. And he's calling them and saying, let us. Let's, let's get together and let's sing. Okay? Come, oh come, let us sing to the Lord. So it's clear who this song is for. It's for the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. So the next thing that we do, we start, we, we, we have to come in order to do this. So we get there. Once we get to the presence of the Lord, once we come to the Lord, what we want to do is we want to sing. And then we want to even shout. Did you know that shouting is actually biblical? Isn't that wild? You know when you shout at home and your dad's like, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, and your mom's like, hey, quiet down. Be quiet. You know? Shout. Okay? Come and then sing. And then the second thing you're going to do is shout. And look what he says. He says, shout joyfully. Shout joyfully. So when you shout, do it with joy. Because a lot of times when you're shouting, you're not necessarily shouting joyfully. Now, I think of times when, uh, you know, when I've been at a game, you know what I mean? And I'm shouting for the, my, my team or whatever, and I'm doing it joyfully. But then there are times when I'm shouting at a game and I'm not doing it joyfully. Times when I'm shouting at the ref, letting the ref know that I didn't care for his call, you know? And that's not done joyfully. Now, you know, Pastor Chris isn't cussing at the ref or anything like that, you know? But, but it's just like, come on, ref, are you kidding me? Let's go. But here he's told, shout joyfully and notice who it's directed at. The rock of our salvation. The Lord, there in the very first, in the very first line, and the rock of our salvation, same, it's the same individual. It's God. It's the Lord. But he he develops this thought about the Lord in that he is the rock of our salvation. Meaning he's our foundation. He is what we stand upon. That's what our lives are built upon, upon the Lord. He's the rock of our salvation. He goes on in verse 2. He there's a call once again. And he says, let us come. 
And he says this time, before his presence. So, so come on, let's go. Let's go to God. Let's go to God's presence. And then he tells us with thanksgiving. And that is the third thing here. When you come, you want to sing. When you come, you want to shout. And when you come, you need to do so with thankfulness. You need to be thankful. He tells us that. It's real clear. It's easy to understand. Verse 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Now, this, uh, uh, this, this, this word thanksgiving and the theme of thanksgiving is going to, you'll see this carry on tonight, obviously, and then uh, next Wednesday and the Wednesday after that. As we go through a few psalms, and then as we gather for uh, our last session of worship at the end of the month uh, at the Perry's house for our night of worship at his house, um, you'll see this theme, Thanksgiving. That's done on purpose, obviously. The psalms that I selected have that idea in there, that idea of Thanksgiving. Uh, listen, I love being American. That is the truth. Okay, And I love American holidays like Thanksgiving. Love it. But, but I want to make sure that it's not just a, uh, a nationalistic thing for me. It's not just a matter of national pride and like, yeah, you know, we, uh, we have Thanksgiving, you know, and it's American. What I want to do is I want to I take advantage of what that holiday was, what it was initially. A day's focus spent on thanking God for what he had given us, what he had, what he had provided for us. And so I love that. And here the psalmist is telling us, you know, when you, when you come into his presence, you want to do so with thanksgiving. Giving thanks. Giving thanks for what? Giving thanks that you're still alive. And some people might go, ah, oh, you know what? I'm still alive. Who cares? You know, I wish I was dead. My life's so miserable. Okay. Except that you're still alive. That means there's still a chance for your life to change. There's still a chance for God to work in your life. So be thankful for that. Or man, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't have, you know, uh, I don't have that much. Okay, well, maybe you just have a little bit. Be thankful for what you do have, because we've probably all seen people who have nothing, have even less. And then he tells us again in verse two, because he wants to make sure that we didn't miss it the first time. Let us shout joyfully. There it is. So two times he tells us to shout joyfully. Two times he tells us to shout joyfully. What he's explaining or what he's describing here is an exciting worship. It's an exuberant worship. It's somebody who's excited about the Lord, about the rock of our salvation. This is not a, a, a worship that is subdued or that is quiet or contemplative. Now, there's, there is time for that kind of worship to look at, at your situation. And, and sometimes that, that kind of worship is filled with sorrow. That's the truth. Sometimes we're coming to God in worship with a, a, a heart that's filled with sorrow. And, 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 and we do that sometimes, and you'll see psalms like that at times. But in this case, and tonight, what's being encouraged is this, this worship that is, is uh, it's a celebration of who God is and as we'll see, it's a celebration of other things also. Let's move on to our next section, which is the cause. Now, here's the deal. I gave you the call, okay? We've been given some instructions or some responsibilities. Do these things. But we might ask why. Why would we do these things? Why would we sing? Why would we shout joyfully? Why would we come to God with thanksgiving? Why would we even do those things? Well, the writer is glad that you asked. Because here in verse 3, he gives us the cause. This is why. 
And he tells us in verse 3 that what we are doing is we are celebrating his sovereignty. Sovereignty. What does sovereignty mean? Sovereignty or to be sovereign means, yes, tell us, please. To be in control. To be above. To be in charge or, you know, the big cheese or the head honcho or, you know, the big boss, whatever. But that is the position that God holds. He's sovereign. Now, we're told here in verse 3 that he is sovereign over all gods. And in the text, you'll see it there. It says in verse 3, For the Lord is the great God. There it is. He's, we're told that he's the great God. And the great king above all gods. And you'll see that it's little g. My g's got a capital G because it's in all caps. So just as long as you understand that when we're talking about God with a capital G, and then we see the word God with a little g, we are talking about two different uh, uh, things, two different individuals. It's, it's not the same God. What is being declared here in verse 3 is that the God that is being worshipped, that this worship is being directed at, is the God of the Bible. That is the capital G there. And the, the lowercase g, whenever you see that, what you need to understand or remember is that when it says gods, it is referring to really to the false gods, to the idols, to, to things that people set up as gods. And what the writer is doing is he's saying God is so far above those false gods. So for the Lord, what are we, what are we doing? We're celebrating his sovereignty over all gods. A Bible teacher from a long time ago named Matthew Henry, okay, man with two first names. He says about this verse, he manages them all. So God manages all of them, all of those, all of those lowercase gods, all of those false gods. He manages them all and serves his own purposes by them. And to him, they are accountable. So whatever we might set up as our God, and when, when I say that, I'm saying today, 2023. Maybe we set something else up as our God. Maybe it is an entertainer. Maybe it is an athlete. Maybe it's an object, a car, or a certain amount of money. Maybe it's uh, uh, clothing or fashion. Maybe it's education, whatever it might be. All of those lowercase g gods, all of those things that we might set up, can never be higher than God. He is always going to be sovereign above those things. So certainly he deserves for us to sing to him, to shout with joy, to come with thanksgiving. He deserves that. That's what the writer of this psalm is pointing out. But he is also celebrating the fact that God is sovereign over creation. I love these verses, verses four and five. In his hand, in his hand are the deep places of the earth. In his hand. You understand what he's saying? Now, here's a question. Does God have a hand? Hmm. Sometimes the Bible talks about, you know the Bible? That the Bible actually says that, that uh, a God with a blast of his nostrils can split the sea. It's like, wow, that's a really big nose. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body like you and I have. But the writer, being a human being, this is how the writer chooses to describe this. 
And he's, he's making a point here. Think about this. Look what he says. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, and he, for he made it, and his hand formed the dry land. I mean, but look what he said. The deep places, the heights, the sea, the dry land. But he started out in verse 4 by telling us that all of those things are in his hand. There are places on planet Earth that we have not explored yet. Namely, the ocean depths. There are parts of the ocean that we have never been to. Too deep. Some of you may remember uh, just a few months ago, I mean, the story came and it went. But there was a small group of people that went down into this uh, super submarine. You remember that? And then the thing exploded or imploded or whatever. So any of you remember that? That was all over the news for like a little while. And they were trying to get a rescue mission and all those different things. There are places of the earth that are too deep. We've never been down there. Human beings have never been down there. And yet all of those secret hidden places are in the palm of God's hand. They're, they're but chess pieces in his hand. They're small. They're minute. He's, what he's doing is he's describing the enormity of God and the fact that he's sovereign over all of these things. He's in charge of, over, of, of all of these things. And you think about the ocean. I love the ocean. I love to go to the beach. Love the beach. I love being outside, just generally speaking. So the beach, the mountains, even the desert once in a while. But you go to the beach, and it's scary, right? You get out there on your boogie board, or you're just out there body surfing or whatever, or just standing in the water, right? And you can feel the power of those waves, man. They come and hit you, bam! And sometimes you get caught off guard, you know, and it knocks you down and end up with sand in your face and knees all scraped up or whatever, you know, and you come out kind of, oh, man, what happened? But you feel the power. It's in his hand. He's sovereign over all of it. So certainly he deserves for us to sing to him and to shout joyfully and to come with thanksgiving. Let's move on to the next section, beginning at verse 6, which is another call. Okay, see the pattern? There's call. So he gives the call first, and then he gives us the cause for that call. You might say he gives us a responsibility and then the reason for that responsibility. But I just named it the call and the cause. Here's another call. And he tells us in verse 6, again, same thing as he did at the beginning. Oh, come. So we're told again, come on, let's, let's go. It's, it's as if the psalmist is saying, hey, I called you to come worship. I gave you reasons why. You still haven't come. Come on. You know, sometimes, sometimes we have to be like, you know, called multiple times, you know. Maybe some of you even tonight, you know, like just to come to church. You're like, ah, oh, I'm kind of tired. You know, and your friend's texting you or calling you or DMing you or whatever. Like, no, come on, let's go. I'll meet you there. Ah, oh, I'm kind of tired. You know, it's a busy day at school or whatever. I'm just, you know, I'm eating some soup and I'm, you know, I'm already in my PJs. Nah, come on, come on, come on. That's what this writer is doing. This writer is so excited about praising God and the writer wants other people to come and say, like, come on, let's go celebrate God. And so he tells them again in verse 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. There are two things there that we'll mention. So he tells them to come. That's the call. And then the two things, once we get there, worship and bow. Worship and bow. Oh, come, let us worship. 
That means we're going to uh, uh, ascribe worship to God. We're going to come and we're going to acknowledge him and say, you know what, he, he deserves to be worshiped. He's, he's got our praise. He's got our thanks. He's got our acknowledgement. Okay, that's what we're doing. And then he tells us something that we here at Revival, we're not really used to this kind of thing. He tells us to bow down. Bowing down is a, is, is, is a biblical posture, okay? Posture, you know what posture is, right? My mom was always telling me, man, hey, stand up straight. Okay, yes, ma'am, you know, put your shoulders back. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, no hunching over, you know. If she saw us hunching over, she would slap our back. You know, okay, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so people still today, they laugh at me and my, uh, one of my younger sisters because they say we both walk the same, you know, like straight. It's like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, you know. But posture, well, he mentions the posture. He says, oh, come, let us worship. Once you get there, you want to worship God. How are we going to worship God? He tells us, bow down, bow down. What is that? It means that I'm lowering myself before God. That could also be called humbling myself before God. I'm lowering myself before God, acknowledging that, hey, you're in charge, God. I'm not. So bow down. But he mentions something else concerning the posture. He says, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So there are three things in this call that we are to do. First of all, we're going to come, just like the first one. But this time we're going to worship, he says. We're going to bow down before God. And we are going to kneel before the Lord, our maker. These are excellent verses. Kneel, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Here at Revival, we're used to sitting down or standing up during worship. We're pretty conservative here. And the reason for that is because our pastor is pretty conservative. I know him fairly well. I've worked with him for a lot of years. And he's fairly conservative. And so we don't do a lot of, you know, moving around. We don't do too much of that. Or, you know, we don't jump around. Sometimes you'll see, you know, church services, you know, on YouTube or, you know, on your social media. And you'll see these people dancing all over the place. And you know what? That's, that's okay. For, their, for, that, for that church. That's, that's how they worship. That's fine. You will find oftentimes in those videos, and you might watch them like I do and laugh once in a while because people are going crazy. And sometimes it looks funny. That's the truth. But in reality, when you go through the scriptures, you find that people were told to dance. People were told to clash cymbals. People were told to shake their tambourines. And it's like, as you go through the scriptures, especially as you get into some of the Psalms, like, you know, one, you know, 145 and 46 and 47, 48, 49 and 150, you know, you find these, these calls to like, hey, you know, bring your instruments. And basically, essentially, the writer is saying like, bring all your instruments, let's dance, let's shout, let's, let's rock this place. And we get a taste of it here in that he's telling them, you got to change your body posture. The body posture does not remain the same. When I come to God, I'm not coming with my chest puffed out and you know what, hey God, uh, listen, um, you're the magic genie, you know, and I'm gonna rub the lamp and you're gonna give me whatever I want. No, when I come to God, it, it includes worship, understanding that he's worth my, my, um, my praise, but I'm also going to lower myself before God. I'm gonna bow, I'm going to kneel. Those are biblical postures but the point here is that man you gotta you gotta when you come to god you gotta change your change your attitude we don't come puffed up or prideful but we come with a humble heart in humility 
So the, the next call. Now, he gives us another cause. Why would we do that? Glad that you asked. Verse 7. He celebrates sovereignty again. However, this time in verse 7, seven, his sovereignty over us. His sovereignty over us. Remember the first time we said he was sovereign over all the other gods? Then we said that he was sovereign, or we saw that he was sovereign over all of creation. Now we find out my favorite part, or I think the best part, and that is the fact that he's sovereign over us. And he, it reads this in verse 7. The word for means because. So we're to, we're to worship him, we're to bow down, we're to kneel. Why would we do that? Verse 7, because he is our God. He's the one that we worship. He's the one that we bow down to. That, that's why. Because he deserves it. Because he's sovereign. And by the way, he's sovereign over us. Look what he goes on to say. These are beautiful verses, intimate verses. And we are the people of his pasture. People of his pasture. What a strange phrase that is. Because people don't live in pastures. What lives in pastures? Animals. Animals live in pastures. And as a matter of fact, he mentions animals. He says, and the sheep of his hand. But he's, he's acknowledging that we are people. But what he's also doing is he's acknowledging that God is, he's our God. But he's our shepherd. We're the people of his pasture. And then he goes on to say that we're the sheep of his hand. This is a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. Some of you might be familiar with sheep. They are simple animals. And somewhat helpless. I don't know if you know what a cast sheep is. This is a sheep that because of their body mass, you know, you've seen them. They've got kind of, you know, they, they can have a, a, a pretty big body, big, pretty big round body. And then they've got these funny scrawny little legs. And a cast sheep is a sheep that has gotten too heavy and tipped over. Once they tipped over onto their back, there's no getting them up. They can't get up on their own. They're, they're helpless. And what will happen is there are gases, if they're flipped over, there are gases in their stomach that will begin to expand. They could actually die just from, just from rolling over on their backs. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you roll over on your back all the time. You know, you might lay down on the floor, flip over, you're on your back or whatever, you're watching TV, whatever you're doing. For a sheep, for a sheep that's cast or, or over on its back, the gases can begin to, to expand and that sheep can actually die. That's how helpless they are. You think about a sheep. They have no, there's no um, um, uh, um, self-defense, you know. They, they, got, they got nothing, you know. I mean, you might occasionally see, you know, a ram with some horns or whatever, and they can do their buddy. But we're just talking about sheep. Sheep, what, what do they do? Run really fast, right? But they can't even get away from, their, from the master's sheepdog, from the shepherd's sheepdog. I mean, they're, they're pretty much helpless. And yet we're called here the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. But I love that. It means that I am completely dependent on God. But it also means that God cares for me, loves me. He's constantly watching over me. You ever seen a shepherd? Shepherd's always out there with a the sheep, just watching, just standing and watching, making sure that all is well, making sure the sheep are eating, making sure that they're not being attacked, you know, those kinds of things. It's a beautiful picture. And then he ends this uh, uh, psalm with a caution. And for these verses, for some of you are going to be, you're going to say, yeah, I, I, I totally get the picture. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your 
hearts. Okay, there it is there. The caution is against a hard heart. When I come, when it's time to worship, I want to do so with a soft heart, a pliable heart, not a hard heart. Because, oh, God did this or he did that or he didn't do this or he didn't do that. But acknowledging that, you know what? God can do whatever he wants. God created us. And because he created us, by virtue of his being the creator, he can do whatever he wants with us. You ever thought about that? God can do whatever he wants. He created us. I don't have like, you know, some, you know, where I can just, you know, like, hey, man, you know, you, you, uh, uh, you, you know, God, you, you can't do that. Yes, he can. He created us. What an incredible thought. He can do whatever he wants. So it goes on to say, today, if you will hear his voice, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, see some of you, you're familiar with this, Sunday mornings. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so he says, listen, don't be like those people in the Old Testament. Don't be like those people in that story of, of Moses and the Exodus and going to the promised land and all of that. Don't be like them. Well, they, they were rebellious against God. And because they were rebellious against God, that first generation, they didn't get to go in and enter into his rest, into the promised land. He says, don't be like that. Soften your heart. Let go of that sin. Praise the Lord. One more time, Matthew Henry said, if our sins have grieved God, surely they should grieve us. And nothing in sin should grieve us so much as that. What he's saying is, if, if, if our sin grieves God's heart, we should be grieved by that. That should, that should be something that breaks our hearts. To know, that, to know that my sin has grieved the heart of God, I don't want that to happen. I love God. I don't want to hurt him. I don't, I don't want to do that to him. And, and knowing that that happens, that should grieve me even more. But there in the closing, the caution is against a hard heart. So let's not have hard hearts. We're going to worship in just a minute. So I would encourage you to put these things into practice. Come to the Lord with a soft heart with the heart that is, is low. Humble yourself before him and praise him because he deserves it. Father, thank you so much for...